Welcome to the podcast show called What Do I Say? My name is Ryan and I'm one of the pastors at New Hope Church and I am joined today by Pastor Tom. Hi everybody. Hey, we want to thank you for taking time to listen today. This uh, podcast, the goal is to apply timeless truth of scripture to the timely topics that we face today. And boy, do we have a good topic uh, for mm-hmm. us today. Um, we really, our heart is for equipping. We want to encourage you. We want to equip you as followers of Christ and, and even to take away or take on pressing questions of the day and um, talk about it in a way that hopefully brings clarity and encouragement uh, to you. And so, uh, as we say each episode, if you if you want to interact any more on our topic that is uh, today's topic, or really anything else, you're always welcome to email uh, myself at ryan at newhopeadel.org or Tom's email is tom at newhopeadel.org, and we uh, both of us would love to to hear from you for sure. So today we're we're taking on a topic that can be confusing and is sometimes uh, a divisive topic in Christianity. To give a little context, uh, here at New Hope, currently we're going through a sermon series called Impact, and we're working through the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 8. And a few weeks back, we were in Acts chapter 2, which is a a tremendous chapter of Scripture, and it's the event of Pentecost and the coming, the promised coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised for these uh, first early believers gathered in a room and the Holy Spirit comes down and upon them, and they begin to speak in tongues. And in that that passage, is very clear this referring to languages, because we have people out in the streets that are there for the the festival, from lots of different uh, nations and countries and um, ethnic backgrounds, and they hear these believers talking in known languages that were their languages. And of course, Peter takes his moment and uh, shares about Christ, and many, many people respond. And so we have this this, um, picture of, in this first instance, of speaking in tongues, which was referring to speaking in other known languages. And I think also, Ryan, to think about the book of Acts, it's important to think about the larger context that it's a descriptive book. It's describing what is happening. And I think a couple weeks ago in a message, you talked about how we have principles that are there in the book of Acts, but we don't necessarily replicate every single event that happens. And this would be one of those instances. That's exactly right. There There are things that took place in the beginning of the church that happened because it was the beginning of the church and yes. it isn't necessarily an effect today. Yes. I think we'll see that uh, echo throughout this podcast episode. So, so you have, anyhow, so we, we were working through and are continuing to work through this book of Acts, this chapter two scene and, and seeing this gift of tongues as speaking in a language the speaker has never learned to minister to someone who does speak that language. So, in light of that, and because the sermon covered lots of things and we really didn't get a chance to unpack this much, I thought, we thought it would be great to to take a few minutes together with you to come back to the topic of tongues in a podcast to dive a little deeper into the subject. So here's our big question for today. What does the Bible say about the practice of speaking in tongues? And boy, our heart's desire is that you are encouraged and equipped 
this is uh, this is an important topic, and you know, in some ways, some ways it, it can be a confusing one. So hopefully, this brings some clarity. Let's start with this. The New Testament really gives and has two primary passages that talk about tongues. The first one is Acts chapter two, which we've already or I already just unpacked a little bit for you. You have this descriptive, as as Pastor Tom, you just noted, moment where the Holy Spirit comes down and they begin to speak in these other languages. A beautiful evangelistic missionary type of moment and so many people from other ethnicities come to faith in Christ and uh, become a part of the church. Yeah, I would also add, we're not going to dig into these passages, but as you follow through in the book of Acts, you'll see that this gift of tongues involved the penetration of new peoples. Uh, there was the Samaritans, Acts 8, God-fearing people in Acts 10. And a part of asking the question, why did this happen, I think has to do with how the gospel is going to new peoples. And we see that demonstrated in Acts. For sure. And then as you continue on again to Paul's writings, and another important passage that takes us on is in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapters 12 and 14. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to we're not going to work through in this podcast it'd be very long if we work through the entirety of those two chapters and all that they say but I do want to encourage you if you're listening to take some time and to read through those uh, for yourself but but in these two chapters Paul is talking about tongues and he's he's talking about it as a type of spiritual gift. Um, often today is referred to as like a sign gift is the the term that's used today. And he's also talking about best practices for when a church gathers together, that it isn't um, a place of chaos that's disorderly uh, in such a manner that people can't learn and worship and grow in their faith in Christ. And so to that end, he points out that if a person is at a church gathering and begins to speak in tongues or to be again clear an actual language of the day but it was unknown to the congregation if a person began to do that then there needs to be an interpretation or we would say a translation in fact in my study of the word glossa or tongue it was always used in extra-biblical sources, that is, sources beyond the Bible, to refer to a known language. And that's the only way that it's used. Yeah. And if it's, so so if words are spoken in a gathering and the people of that congregation don't know that language, of course, it's of no benefit to them. Yes. I remember uh, not long ago, we had Pastor Joy, who uh, serves in another country, and was with us and giving a missions update from the stage. And he prayed, but he prayed in his language. And I remember, which was wonderful, but I remember feeling, what's he saying? (laughs) Well, I often feel that way when I go overseas. And I don't know if these are what we would call Pentecostal charismatic people breaking out in prayer all at the same time, or if it's just them praying in their tribal language. And it's like, Okay, to God be the glory. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Had there been a translation given of (laughs) how are we praying, that would have then been encouraging to to me. The whole thing was encouraging, but you know what I mean. It would have I would have understood what we're praying, which is why in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse nineteen, 
Paul, he, he notes this. And he said that he would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue because there's no edification in the church if they don't understand the language. So those are those, Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, not the only places that talk about tongues, but those are two very important places. Now, I think so far that's all pretty straightforward, but it doesn't end there. Because one question that comes up and where things can get more difficult is the question of if the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues is still in operation today. That becomes a question that people have and is divisive in Christianity. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, uh, and then verse 10, tell us something that's a, a little bit interesting in that Paul lays out that the gift of tongues will cease, that it will stop, and it will do so, then if you jump to verse 10, with the arrival of the perfect or what is then complete. The problem is it's not necessarily clear what does that mean. Like, when is that? And there's different perspectives on that answer of when is the arrival of the perfect. Out of that, what has grown are two primary positions in Christianity on this question. So I thought it'd be helpful to take a few minutes to talk about those two, those two perspectives and uh, what they hold and, and why, they, why they are those positions. Yeah, some subtle variations on those two as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So no particular order. The, the first one is a view called uh, cessationism, or a person would be a cessationist. Now, this person holds that the sign gifts, and these would include speaking in tongues and the interpretation of that, or languages, miracles, and healing, that those gifts are no longer in operation today as spiritual gifts. Now, a cessationist would still strongly hold that the Lord heals, that the Lord does miracles, uh, and he can give and does give people ability with language, but not as a spiritual gift. Rather, it's, it's him, his Holy Spirit, working through the person to accomplish what God wants to accomplish through that person. Yeah, and I think we were just talking a little bit before we started the podcast. I would fall into that camp, but... I wouldn't necessarily call myself cessationist because I think sometimes what people uh, have implied when that happens is that these things can't take place. And so for me, it's just more a matter of avoiding the terminology so I don't communicate the wrong thing in the other direction. Yeah. So a cessationist would, would say that the sign gifts that are descriptive in Acts that they served a very specific purpose, but when that purpose had was over, that the gifts went away. Well, what was the purpose? Well, it was the apostolic age of the apostles going out and laying the foundation for the church with their teachings, uh, as well as you have the coming of the New Testament. So say it a different way, the sign gifts ended when the apostles' ministry ended, and we had the New Testament or the books of the New Testament. Right. So in other words, we don't need the sign gifts because we have the New Testament. To that end, Paul tells us that 
tongues or languages. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. He tells us that tongues are not are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. In other words, speaking of tongues or languages is, is for the unbeliever. Now, before the writing of the New Testament, the, the sign gifts played a very specific role. Uh, imagine we had at New Hope Church, or if you're listening wherever your church home is, um, you had a person come up uh, and, and, and arrive and say, they have a word from the Lord. And we didn't have the New Testament. What reason would we have to trust them? What, what sort of validation or credentials would they bring that for that group of Jesus followers that they would say, we, we think this person really is speaking what is true? Well, that's the role of the sign gifts. The person would have the ability to give a sign that they are endorsed from from the Lord and their ministry is is valid. And that would be through miracles and healing and, and whatnot. And you see that in the book of Acts. Well, today we don't have that because if somebody comes and wants to wants to share, how do we know that what they're saying is true? Well, we check it with scripture. Mm-hmm. We have the word of God. And so that becomes the validating factor. Is it lining up with scripture? But before they had scripture, how would they know? And so that becomes one example of how sign gifts played a unique role in the beginning of the church as it was getting started to protect orthodoxy and truth as the books of the New Testament were being written during that time. And interestingly enough, that's not very often how people would utilize what they would call tongues as a as a gift these days although there are some churches where they'll have people stand up and speak in some syllabic kind of a way and then somebody else might interpret but usually that's not how it's used in today's era yeah so that would be a cessationist view at least a very small introduction to it and within evangelical Christianity, there are certainly people who hold that perspective. Uh, a second view, then, is a, a view that would really be, be the opposite in many respects. It would be a view that holds that the gift of tongues, and really along with the other sign gifts as well, are still active today. So for for a person who has this theological perspective, the idea of the perfect, the arrival of the perfect, when the gift of tongues and the gift of the other sign gifts would would cease is the return of Jesus. Well, because we are still longing for and anticipating the return of Christ, tongues is still in operation today. So so those are those are just the two you know perspectives or two camps, if you will, that um that Christians can hold mm-hmm. on this topic. Now, by way of just observation and, and maybe a, a final topic to unpack here in this podcast is, let me just say it as an observation. From my perspective, at least, now Tom, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. The majority of of those who claim to practice the gift of speaking in tongues are not doing so in a way that parallels or aligns with what we see uh, in the New Testament. 
as in it looks very different today, the practice, than the the actual practice that we saw, for example, in the book of Acts or even in Corinthians, that is taking a different direction. Today, what is most often practiced is what is sometimes called, and now you have to say the word for me. Glossolalia. I yes. kept stumbling over that one. <laughs> Glossolalia, which refers to these ecstatic utterances. That's what the word means. Um, this is the uttering of unintelligible uh, language-like sounds while in a state of ecstasy um, or even prayerfulness. Um, this, I would argue, is not the picture, though, that we see in the New Testament when we see the gift of tongues in operation, because there we saw languages. Yeah, and I would agree. And just to provide a little historical background, really back in the early 1900s, there was this movement out in California where people started using this language, and it kind of spread slowly to some churches, and then in the 60s and 70s, it really began to be utilized by people from lots of different backgrounds, Lutheran, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian. And so you have this group of people within many, many different churches who would have slightly different perspective from where we're at in terms of what it means, how it's used, and you know, sometimes it can be controversial. In fact, I've got a quote here from a book called Unwrap Your Spiritual Gifts. And this quote is this, there's no issue so controversial and divisive in evangelical Christianity today as that of speaking in tongues. Few subjects can change fellowship to fury among, more, among evangelicals more rapidly than a discussion of tongues. Now that book was written, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. And so I think we've come to a appreciate and love one another in a better kind of a way these days and just see like, you know, if you think about apples, we have different kinds of apples, Jonathan apples, yellow delicious apples, and some of us are Jonathan, some of us are yellow delicious, but we're all apples. And really the important thing is that there's not a worm in the apple. And uh, otherwise recognizing that whether we call ourselves charismatic, non-charismatic, uh, we can both be bearing fruit. And so just important perspective, I think, in coming and talking about this issue. It can be tragic, yeah, when it becomes divisive. Yes. And the cross of Christ and what is primary to the right. mission and identity of what it means to follow Jesus gets lost. Yes. Yeah, that does happen. But we do, and, and, and so, you know, on this topic is, is we maybe observe friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, family members, and maybe different types of churches that practice different types of things, um, noting the differences and really trying to discern where am I at, I think would be an important thing. Uh, one of the things I, I noticed that was is interesting is <clears throat> that They've done a lot of studies on the speaking of tongues with the ecstatic utterances today. And one of the things that they have learned through really multiple studies is that it's a learned behavior. And what's interesting about that, and I'll just cite one example from Lutheran Medical Center, uh, who did a pretty large scale study. And 
what they what they learned was that with people they were able to readily learn by following simple instructions on how to sort of practice this that it was something that wasn't terribly hard to learn and and it also didn't require them to be in any kind of trance like stupor that they could be sort of like you and I right now and learn to to do that uh, another study conducted, this was with 60 students, showed that after listening to a one-minute sample of the speaking in tongues, glossolalia, that 20% of them were able to imitate it precisely and immediately. After uh, some training, 70% then were successful in being able to do it. So it just, it just highlights here that it's, it's, it is something that can be learned and... Um, if you're in a church that's maybe more Pentecostal and they practice this, that that's the kind of thing that it can be picked up. The other thing that's interesting is in a Pentecostal setting, for example, or even charismatic, sometimes there's pressure to speak in tongues or to, to do this. In other words, that those who, the, the idea is that those who are, are mature in Christ or are spiritually um, more enlightened, if you will, than others are the ones who can demonstrate speaking in tongues. So that becomes this benchmark to reach. And so there can be pressure to, well, I, want, I, I should want to be able to do that too. And just to uh, talk a little bit about the difference between the word Pentecostal and charismatic, as I understand it, Pentecostal would often describe a whole church like the Assembly of God Church would be a Pentecostal church. And the word charismatic, we apply to individuals who may be in Evangelical Free Church, Presbyterian, Methodist, a variety of different churches. And so just a slight different variation, although the approach to tongues is similar. It's just whether it's the whole church or whether it's a, some individuals within the church. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's really clear and, and helpful. Thank you for that. So if you're in a Pentecostal church, especially, um, but even not, and to your point, you know, are, are charismatic, yeah. that that pressure can be can be real, um, especially when you attach. Now, this would be in Pentecostal circles, attach a theology or an idea behind it that speaking in tongues is a manifestation of receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that, uh, what it means to yeah. have the fullness of the Spirit versus the baptism of the Spirit and how all that plays out and what's in Scripture in regard to that issue. It's a great example of how words really do mean something because the fullness of the Holy Spirit is different than being filled with the Holy Spirit. So for those in Pentecostal circles, the idea of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is that when you uh, come to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you receive the Holy Spirit, you only receive some of the Holy Spirit. It's not a full manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That would come later, and that's often called the second blessing. The second blessing is something that, in one sense, you earn. You, you grow in or you attain as you become more spiritually mature or enlightened. 
And so, as I mentioned before, the idea in a Pentecostal setting where you look around and you say, well, that person over there speaking in tongues, they've received the second blessing. They have all the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but I don't. I'm less than or I only have some of the Holy Spirit. You then long to have that second blessing and there can be that pressure to do whatever it takes to manifest that, which again is speaking in tongues. And that was uh, along the lines of what I was talking about earlier, too, in regard to what is our focus? Is it the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc.? Or is it having this experience? And really, I, I believe Scripture would say that our focus should be on the fruit of the Spirit, regardless of whether we call ourselves charismatic, Pentecostal, or not. Because that connects, I think, to how we measure what does it mean to be mature exactly. as a follower of Jesus. Yes. Is it the experience, which is what you just pointed out, or right. is it the fruit of the Spirit manifested in obedience to Christ, lived out in relationship with right. Christ, and we become sanctified or more and more like Jesus as we are? And this is what comes back to being filled with the Holy Spirit. We should long for that. You have all the Holy Spirit. So theologically, when a person says yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit and all the Holy Spirit comes and, and is in residence within you. Amen. You are the temple, if you will, and the Holy Spirit is in you. And the question, of course, is while you have all the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? And so by walking with Christ, spending time with him, and living in obedience, we then grow in becoming spiritually mature and sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We come under his authority. Amen. We listen to him, we follow him, and that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, ties into the markers of maturity Amen. that we should try to attain. Let me give you a contrasting verse over in 1 Corinthians, at least I think it's contrasting. First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen says, For we all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. How is that different from the filling of the spirit? And how do Pentecostals, Charismatics approach it versus how you and I would understand it? Yeah. So I would say to, to bring some maybe conclusion uh, to the topic that the practice of glossolia, glossolalia, <laughs> however you say that word. <laughs> say it three times real fast. No, I couldn't possibly. Um, is really not the, a target we should be right. shooting for. Um, if you're listening to this and you, you practice that, uh, especially if you call New Hope Church home, New Hope Church is still home. That That's fine. Again, in the Christian camp, you have these different perspectives on it. I think the goal is to recognize that the sign gifts are not the primary marker of faith or what we even aspire to. If God wants to heal or to use you to do something like provide a healing for somebody, maybe you pray over them and God does something remarkable. That's wonderful. Praise God. Pray. Do pray. pray. Do pray. Every but, day, deeply, uh, enthusiastically, pray for healing, pray for God to do his work for sure. So our, our that so but our pursuit needs to be Jesus. Our yes. pursuit needs to be obedience. Our pursuit needs to be relationship. Um 
with him and um, and all that that in, entails. And so hopefully in this podcast, you we've seen maybe some more clarity about what a speaking in tongues is. We've recognized some places where there can be uh, division there because even a cessationist can still and should still be loving and kind to the body of Christ and those who have some different perspectives uh, on this, even though theologically they wouldn't be in agreement right. with what that um, what that is. So, um, again, hopefully that's helpful. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I just I think we've bounced around a little bit. So I know if you feel like you're confused and want to talk about the issue some more, we really would be glad to do that. And then we could sit down, open a Bible, go into it a little bit more detailed, and there just isn't time to do that. So, so encouragement. You. I mean, thank you for listening. Get some time in First Corinthians twelve and fourteen. Yeah. And uh, and again, to what Pastor Tom said, we'd love to have some conversation with you more about this topic or any other, uh, for that matter. Yeah, and just uh, get the terminology very exact as you're thinking about it, and think about some of the perspective on Scripture as far as, like I said, the Book of Acts versus what we have in. The books like Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. And the interesting thing even about 1 Corinthians is that it was a correctional kind of book. And so that comes into play in how you understand this issue. And so you just have to dig in to really get a kind of whole perspective on the issue. Absolutely. Thank you again for listening. We appreciate you all. And we'll look forward to the next time we get to be with you. Amen.